Okay, uh, we have a mission statement here at KPC, and I'll read it to you. It says, our purpose as a church, as a people, is to deeply experience the love of God in worship, and that's worship service and a life of worship. Deeply experience the love of God in worship, to grow as faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ, and to serve a world hungry for His love and His truth, okay? Three key words, don't miss them, experience, grow, and serve. Now, we also have a vision statement, and the vision statement says this, KPC aims to be a community where passion for God cultivates compassion for people, all right? Or shrink it up, tagline it, passion for God, compassion for people. So today what we're going to do is we are going to define one of the key words in our vision, okay? We're going to define a very important word, and that word is people. The question we are asking with this sermon as we look at the Word of God is who? Who are these people? Which people are we taking this passion from God, this compassion that we receive? Who are we aiming this compassion at as a church? And y'all, I can't think of anywhere better to answer that question than Acts chapter 10, which is next in our series. Verse 1 opens up, and it introduces us to somebody new, okay? We've never, never met this guy before in, in the book of Acts, in Scripture so far. We, we meet someone who's new, but we have to understand this guy, as he walks into the story, he is a complete spiritual outsider, okay? It says, in Caesarea, there lived Cornelius, love that name, a Roman officer, a captain of the Italian regiment. Cornelius comes, and he really is the ultimate spiritual outsider. Now, he's an, he's an outsider for three big reasons, okay? Uh, number one, his bloodline so far in, in, in the New Testament, his bloodline is wrong, okay? Wrong bloodline. He's not Jewish, okay? He's not Samaritan or Samarian, you know, it's kind of a sideways thumb. This guy is Italian, okay? He's Italian. Wrong bloodline, all right? His job is wrong, all right? He is not a minister of the gospel. He's not someone who works in the temple. He's not even a local tradesman who, who blesses and benefits Israel. He is a military commander, and he's a part of an army that's invaded Israel, okay? He and his crew are not welcome. But if, if, if that wasn't enough, his religion is wrong too. Italians back in the day, okay, back in biblical times, they didn't spend any time in the sanctuary, okay? Their worship consisted pretty much of three things. It was a mixture of philosophy, debauchery, and I'm not going to define that because this is a PG, uh, this is a rated G sermon, okay, debauchery, but, but also emperor worship. So the point is, you can't be more of an outsider at this moment in, in, in Acts, then Cornelius is. This man is 100% Gentile. And so far, the gospel of Jesus Christ has not gone to the Gentiles. But here's the problem. We can't dismiss Cornelius. Why? Because of verse 2. Verse 2 will not let us write this guy off. Listen to this. It says, Cornelius, despite being all these things and wearing all of these labels, Cornelius was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor, and he prayed regularly to God. 
What a shocker, okay? Nobody with, with the, the, the litany that we just read, no one wearing those labels. Who would have thought we'd see this about this man Cornelius? But here he is. He's a part of this class in Scripture, this group of people that are known as God-fears, okay? And I'll give you a simple definition of a God-fear. A God-fear in those days was somebody who lived like there was a God, okay? Not these guys that go, you know what, I believe in a God. You know, oh, we're sure in conversation. He lived like there was a God, even though he didn't have a relationship with God. So here is Cornelius. He's an outsider. He's devout, meaning he reveres God. He fears the Lord. He prays to God. He cares for the poor. He is not yet in the family of God, but he is so close to the family and the kingdom of God. And so because of this, we can all guess what's about to happen. Even if you haven't read Acts chapter 10, you can guess what's going to happen. This man is reaching up to God. Well, what's God going to do? Good luck with that. No, God's going to reach back, right? God is going to reach back to this man. Why? Because God is just amazing and awesome like that. We see this even early in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 4.29. If you search for God with your whole heart and your whole soul, oh, you will find him. That's a guarantee. That's a promise. Here's what, he do, what he's doing. And so one afternoon, around 3 o'clock, right, right after General Hospital, an angel appears to Cornelius. Out of nowhere, an angel appears, calls him by name in verse 4, and Cornelius is terrified. And so would you be. An angel pops up in the middle of your day. He is terrified. And he says, Cornelius, God has received your prayers and your gifts to the poor as an offering. So gather some of your men together, send them to Joppa, and summon a man named Simon Peter. And so here is Cornelius. He's a military man. He's just received an order. What does he say? Yes, sir. And I know I did that wrong. We're full of military people. But yes, sir. I mean, he obeys orders. So you see what God is doing. God is now sending the gospel to the Gentiles. And we can see, you know, Cornelius, I'm giving away, I'm giving away a big thing in the sermon. Cornelius is going to be the first Gentile convert. Why do I give that away? We know it's coming, okay? So he's going to be the first, first convert. Cornelius is primed. He's ready. All he has to do is hear the message of Jesus Christ. He's going to say yes. He, he, he's going to sign up. He's going to become a child of God. But we've got a problem. The problem is that Cornelius is ready but the man on the other end, Peter, is not ready. Peter is not ready to deliver this message to Cornelius and share Christ. See, Peter has got a sin in his life, all right? And some of it is where Peter's from, okay? Some, some, you pick up some things from, you know, where you grew up. But Peter's got a sin in his life. And the sin for Peter is prejudice. And as you read through the New Testament, you'll see Peter gets dealt with a couple of times on this issue. Uh, he and Paul in particular really go at it about this, but P P Peter's prejudice. See, Peter comes from the Jewish side of the tracks, right? And historically, back in those days, man, if you weren't Jewish, you know, man, a, a Jew running into a non-Jew, you look down on folks like that, you know? You look down on people who weren't Jewish, who didn't worship the Jewish way, who, who didn't eat the Jewish way, who didn't follow the Jewish rules and ob observe the Jewish holy days and the Jewish rules. 
So in other words, what Peter has, he has got a measuring stick. He has got a standard by which he measures other people. People who don't measure up for Peter, they are less than, and they are dismissed. They're very quickly dismissed. So in other words, to put it very bluntly, Peter is a spiritual bigot. He is. But we can see already in this passage that God is working on Peter. God is already dealing in Peter's heart about this issue, and we know that because of Acts 10.6. It says that at the moment when he's being summoned, Peter happens to be staying somewhere. He, he's, he, he's spending a few days, you know, living with someone, and it's a man, another man named Simon, right? We got Simon Peter. We got this Simon. Simon, who is a tanner who lives in Joppa down by the seashore. And just so we know, 21st century America, tanner doesn't mean that he ran a tanning salon, okay? There's no, there's no, no suntan lotion involved in this scenario at all. What it means is Simon is a man who takes the skin of dead animals, and he converts them into leather, And according to Jewish custom, that makes this man unclean. This is a man nobody associates with, and and yet Peter's staying with him. And so what we can see in Peter is he has taken a small spiritual step forward in this area in his life. But going to Cornelius, going into Cornelius' house with all those things that we said Cornelius is, and knowing all those things Cornelius isn't, that's not a small step. You know what that is? That is one giant leap for this man. It is too giant a leap for Peter to take at the moment. And so before Cornelius' men get to Peter, the Word of God says it's around noon, so right after the price is right, okay? Switch networks on you, okay, right after the price is right. Peter goes up onto the roof to pray. He falls into a trance, and he sees a vision. This is a vision from God, verses 11 through 13. It says, he saw the sky open, And something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. And and let's be real clear about who this voice is. Who is speaking to Peter in this moment? This is the voice of, you got that. See, I didn't even have to help you out at all. This is the voice of God. And that makes Peter's response A little scary, but also a little comical, as Peter answers back and says, no, Lord, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew, Lord. It's against our law to eat impure and unclean food. And so God with Peter, what does God have to do? Something that we see a lot in Peter's life. God has to repeat. You know, have you ever noticed that before with Peter? The man goes through things like three times as his big thing. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you? I mean, this man has to go. It's a series of, for Peter, three is a magic number, right? It really is. Schoolhouse rock, Peter. It's both the same. And it, proves, it tells me something about Peter, okay? Either Peter is OCD, very possible, okay? Or either Peter, he, he, he's just kind of hard-headed. But the bottom line is Peter is left in this moment baffled. He, he doesn't know what in the world this means, What in the world just happened here? So right then, Cornelius' men arrive, and the Holy Spirit says to Peter, Peter, there are three men who have come for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation, for I sent them. Peter finds out that these men have come from Cornelius. He discovers this man is a God-fearing sort of person, And the lights begin to at least go on a little bit for Peter in this area of prejudice. They go back to Cornelius' house. 
Peter is awakening to what God is doing, what God is saying. And in verse 28, Peter confesses to them, it's against Jewish laws for us to enter a Gentile home or to associate with you, but, but God has overruled. (laughs) God has overruled. He's shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. And then Cornelius begins to unpack for him just a little bit. Hey, here's what God's doing in my life. Here's how God's shown up. Here's how he's spoken up. Here's how I'm living my life. And the lights really come on for Peter. And he says in verses 34 and 36, I see now very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Y'all, that's big. No favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him, those who do what is right. This is the good news. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ. And once again, he says it, who is Lord of all? And those words are important. Every nation, everyone, all. And so Peter goes on now to preach Jesus to these folks. He preaches the cross. He preaches the resurrection. And as he brings his message to its final conclusion, he, he goes ahead and lets us know that he has learned the lesson. Something has really flipped in his heart when it comes to prejudice. He says this in verses 20, uh, 42 through 43. God ordered us to preach everywhere and testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. And, and, and this can be stretched very easily to say those who are you know, alive right now spiritually, those who are just completely dead spiritually, physically, spiritually, emotionally, living and dead. He is the one all the prophets testified, saying, again, important word, that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. And so Cornelius and his family, his household, they hear this message. And like I said, primed and ready to go, they put their trust in Jesus Christ. They're saved. And then what God does is he puts the cherry on top, and he goes ahead and he fills them to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, again making a very subtle but very strong point. It's not like the Jews or those close to the temple, they get the fullness of God. Everyone gets the fullness of God. He's come in his fullness for everyone, even the Italians. And so, so, so we see this happen here. And it's just a beautiful moment. Again, no favorites in the kingdom of God. And so the story ends with a mass baptism. Cornelius and his family are baptized, his household. And then Peter now stays with Cornelius for a few days. And that's a really big deal. To enter a home, to break bread, was the ultimate sign of acceptance. So it's a, it, it, it's a pretty neat story. Now, okay, going back to prejudice for just a minute. When we look down on other people as less than us, we've got to be honest, okay? You're in church. We've got to be honest, all right? Are we agreed on this? We've got to be honest and we have to confess. We've got to admit We all do this. Now, I know some of us are quick to object. Oh, Steve, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Hold on just a second. That is not true of me. Might be true of him, her, not true of me. Some of my best friends are, fill in the blank, white, African-American, Asian, Hispanic. Some of my best friends are even from Suffolk, okay? (laughs) Are there any Suffolk people in the house? We shall overcome, my brothers and sisters. Listen, prejudice, okay, so it may not be racial for you, 
But listen, prejudice comes in a lot of other forms. You know, we can be politically prejudiced. Come on, look around. We can be politically prejudiced. We really can. Prejudice can be based on educational level. level. I'm up here. You're down here. It can be based on what's in your wallet and what's in my wallet. It really can. It, it, it can be uh, based on appearance, religion. Here's another one for you, denomination. Oh, my goodness, is there denominational prejudice out there. It can also be gender or age-related. Y'all, prejudice comes in a lot of forms. And like Peter, every person has some kind of measuring stick that we go ahead and we measure the world by, and, and, and we look down on people. We do it. It is part of the human condition. But God is clear. It is a terrible thing for a son or a daughter of God to look down on anybody for any reason. You know why? It gets in the way of the Great Commission. It gets in the way of us sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Because see, here's, what's hap- here's what happens. When we judge people, like it or not, we're dead to them. They are dead to us. When we judge others, it makes us withhold Jesus Christ from the very people he came to save. Because I'm telling you this, if we don't love them, we're not going to reach out to them. Or if we do reach out to them and that's our condition, we'll either do it as elitists or we will come with a whole lot of judgment. But see, the thing is, prejudice destroys the mission of Jesus Christ which is aimed at all people. Prejudice gets in the way. And like it or not, Jesus Christ came that all might be saved. He came to be the Lord of all nations. So looking down on people, y'all, is bad. It's a terrible thing, except in one case. There is one time in human history where looking down on people was the most beautiful moment ever. You know what I'm talking about? talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. John 3, 14 and 15 says, As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who looks up in belief, all of them, will have eternal life. And so you see what happened on the cross is Jesus Christ was lifted up above us, and Jesus Christ looked down on that crowd. we got to understand this. He looked down on everyone who had gathered, but he didn't look down in hatred, scorn, contempt. You know what Jesus looked down in? Love, saving, rescuing, love. His final words are words of love. Father, forgive them. They do not understand what they're doing. They don't fully get it. Father, my life for theirs. Let their sin, let their penalty fall on me instead. My body will be broken for them. My blood will flow instead of theirs as punishment. My back will be whipped. My head will be pierced instead of theirs. I will be tried. I will be judged. I will be executed instead of all of them. And that's what Jesus did on the cross, looking down. He endured the cross in its shame. He endured the the, the contempt, the hostility of mankind. He endured God's judgment to save us. The Son of God on the cross, He looked down in love on every gender, every race, 
every status level that we come up with, and how many more can we come up with? Every intelligence level, and Jesus Christ died for all of us. He bled for all of us. He looked down in love on all of us. And I tell you what just astounds me every time I think about it is as he looked down in love for the first time ever, humanity could look up. We didn't have to look away. We could look up in that moment and in this moment today and receive the Father's love, receive salvation, receive the, the fullness of a brand new life. All that redeeming love, we could receive it. This morning, we're going to take communion in just, just a couple of minutes. And uh, there's always a, a kind of a, it doesn't have to be an awkward pause, but there's always a pause in communion as we pass out the elements and after the choir sings, and, and you have a moment. And the Word of God calls us as the body of Christ, before we take communion, and people are getting up because they're going to serve us, okay? So I haven't offended these folks. All right, just saying. But the, the Word of God calls us in those moments before we take communion, says, look, body of Christ, Oh, the, oh, yeah, the offering. I forgot about the offering. Thank you, Brian. But as we, as we, we're going to take up the offering at the end of the service today. Thank you very much. But it says in those moments as, uh, as we wait, before we take the, the body and the bread, we ingest that, that we, the body of Christ, we're to examine ourselves. Take a look at ourselves. Let the Holy Spirit just point out anything that is in the way so that we can take communion in a worthy way. So this morning, I want to ask you to do that. As you have these elements in your hands, I want to invite you today to look up at the cross. And as you look up at the cross, take a look at your standard, okay? I'll do it too. I'm not just preaching to you. Take a look at your measure, your prejudice. Take a look at your fear. Take a look at your pride, your standard. Ask yourself, how do you feel about the outsiders? How do you feel about addicts? I had to say that carefully. How do, you, how do you feel about the poor? How do you feel about the rich? How do you feel about the generation that came before you? How do you feel about the next generation that's coming up? How do you feel about other races? How do you feel about the homeless? How do we feel about people who have tattoos? How do you feel about the other political party? When it comes to the outsiders, how are you with them? And as you look up at the cross, for the sake of Jesus Christ, as you become aware of whatever it is, whether you got one or many, in Christ's name, repent of it. Look at the cross and repent. Why? Because the cross of Jesus Christ calls for the end of of prejudice in all of us. Amen. On the cross, the one who is love looked down on us with perfect love, and he said, church, no more. No more. Repent. Be forgiven. Go to them. Receive my love for the undesirables, for the outsiders. Receive my love for every man, every woman, every child. They are not different. They're not scary. They're not a threat. They're not weird. They're not repulsive. Right now, in your world, they're just like you once were. They're lost. But they are dearly loved by the God of heaven. 
dearly loved. I'm going to end with a quote by one of my favorite preachers, all right? Y'all already know I love Tim Keller very much, but another one of my favorites is a man named Tom Skinner. And Tom Skinner was a, a, a preacher in the 50s and 60s in New York City, one of the greatest preachers I'm convinced had ever lived. Um, and, and Tom Skinner so profoundly and eloquently said this about prejudice and the cross. In a book called Black and Free, he wrote these words. He said, only at the cross of Jesus Christ can a black man and a white man come together. And what Tom was saying is that the cross of Jesus Christ is the one place, the one place where division falls. It's erased. Where prejudice is annihilated. Where every wall that could separate you is torn down. The cross of Jesus Christ is where prejudice dies and the love of God is released like a flood for everyone who will have it.